Uh, we're starting a new series today, and we've called this series Connecting with God. I'll give a little bit of explanation once we get into the sermon itself, but we're going to start by looking at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. And here's what God's word says. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Let me pray for us. Father, as always, your word is so good. And we see so much of your goodness, even in this passage. By your spirit, will you work in all of us that we would know you better. Uh, that we would connect with you better that we would know the right relationship that we can have with you in Christ and that we would experience and know more of you in our lives. Oh Lord, we want more than just knowledge. We want relationship. We want connection. Because you created us for that connection. You created us for that relationship. And we need you to restore within us that relationship back with you again. So would you work in me? Would you work in these folks? Would you work in all who listen to this message today? That they would hear exactly what they need to hear by your Holy Spirit. And they would respond with real faith with real repentance, with real obedience, and we would see more of you in our lives. And we pray this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your glory, for our good as a church, and for the good of the people around us. Amen. 
So I'm, I'm curious, does anyone know the name Elisha Gray? Anyone? Anyone? Nope. No Elisha Gray fans out there. Well, back in 1876, he submitted an application to the U.S. Patent Office for a new invention. Unfortunately for Gray, he was beat out for the, that patent by a man who submitted the application just a few hours earlier than him. Gray sued and took his case all the way to the Supreme Court, but lost. I don't know if you know the story, but the winner of the patent for the new invention was Alexander Graham Bell. And the invention was the telephone. Here's an image of an actor portraying Bell talking on his telephone for the first time. Now take a look at that. That's the first telephone. Kind of unwieldy. Apparently his first words were, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. The phone's come a long way since then, right? We now carry phones in our pocket. I don't have mine on me, because if I do, one of you will text me while I'm preaching. <laughs> but even with all of the advances that we have in telephone technology, we still experience problems, don't we? we we've all had that experience where we pull out our phone and we don't have a signal. Or we call someone and the call is dropped. Or you call and it rings and it rings and it rings, but no one ever picks up. Or the call goes to voicemail and the person has never set up their voicemail. Or the voicemail box is full. Or sometimes it seems like someone picks up the phone but you don't actually hear the other person on the other side of the call. That's my most frustrating one, because you're like, hello? 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 Is anybody there? Can you hear me now? Hello? And then you wonder, is anybody over there? And are they saying the same thing that you're saying back? We've all had those experiences. We're trying to connect with someone, but we're just not connecting. If we're honest, there are at least some times where we feel that way about God. We may want to connect with God, but it feels like we're just not connecting. Like that cell phone call that has us no signal, or a dropped call, or the voicemail box is full. We're just not connecting. And look, I feel this way sometimes. You're a pastor. I think that's the experience of most, if not all, Christians at some point in their life. We have moments, and sometimes they're longer than moments, where we don't connect with God well. And so that's part of the reason why I want to do this series is to do a little bit of a deep dive into what does it look like to connect 
with God. How does that happen? What do we do in order to connect with God? And what has God already done that we connect with him? So we'll be talking about that over the next few weeks. But today, the very specific thing that we want to see, and this is foundational, this is the most important thing. If you're going to skip all the other uh, sermons from this sermon series, I'm glad you're here for this one, because this is the one you need to hear the most. You see, a vital connection with God cannot happen apart from Jesus. A vital connection with God cannot happen apart from Jesus. That's one of the problems that we have, is that people try to connect with God, and they're not doing so through Jesus. Let's take a look and see how Jesus himself spells this out in this passage. We're going to walk through this very quickly. Verse 1, Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, a couple of things. He's obviously trying to give encouragement to his disciples after saying some hard things. But I want you to hear this with new ears. If I said, you believe in God, believe also in me, you might think, well, that was a little weird for Stuart to say. But we're in a very different context than what they were in. In a very specific Jewish context where no one, no one would say this. No one. No one would say, you believe in God, so believe in me too. That's paramount to saying God and I are equal. And so their ears must have been like, whoa, what's going on here? This is new information. And then Jesus goes on in verse 2. He says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Again, he's giving encouragement. He's saying, My Father has many rooms and I want to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. So Jesus is saying something's going to happen. Something's going to happen where I'm not going to be around anymore. But I want you to know I'm preparing a place for you and we will be together again. Good news. And then verse 4. And I almost feel like this is Jesus setting them up for their dumb comments that they make. Because that's what, that's what Jesus loves to do. He sets us up so that we'll say something kind of dumb, and then, we, and then Jesus gets to say, well, you don't quite have it right, do you? Don't quite have it right. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. And, of course, Thomas, he comes out, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't, we don't have a clue. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him these powerful words in verse 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know the way to God? It's Jesus. You want to know the truth about God? It's Jesus. You want to know the life of God? It's Jesus. 
any other place that we go, any other society, any other group, any other thing, any other person, and we're going to fall short of really connecting with God. It is only through Jesus. Let me, let me push this even further into our consciousness. Jesus is not some secret society gatekeeper who knows the hidden path to God. And if we ask real nicely, he'll show it to us. He is the way to God. He doesn't show us the path. He is the path. Jesus isn't some scholarly librarian, librarian sage hiding in some uh, esoteric chambers in the library, pouring over the archives, who can say, this is the hidden truth about God. No, he is the truth about God. Jesus isn't some exercise and nutrition guru who knows the exact combination of workouts and healthy smoothie consumption that will give you your best life. Jesus is life. The best life. And so, if we want to connect vitally with God the Father, we have to connect with Jesus. For some of us, maybe even some of us in this room, the idea that Jesus is the only way to have a vital connection with God may cause us to chafe. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. How could Jesus say such a thing? That he thinks he's the only way to God? What about all the people all over the world who faithfully adhere to their religious beliefs? Are you saying that they're wrong and only those who believe in Jesus are right? Are you saying that they don't have a connection with God? Only people who come through Jesus has a connection with God? How can you be so arrogant to say something like that? I've heard those comments, and I get it. It does sound arrogant in our culture, in our society. But if that's where you are and you're thinking about it, I want to just give you an illustration to think about this. Um, Suppose I told you that I want to go to the moon. And you're like, okay, that's an interesting goal, Stuart. Okay, fine. Um, How are you going to get there? I'm going to walk. Yeah, I'm going to go out the front door. I'm just going to keep walking until I get to the moon. You would rightfully think, okay, Stuart, you've got a few screws loose here. You can't walk to the moon. Oh, okay, well, I'll just get in my car and I'll drive until we get there. Maybe you can come along with me. We can have a road trip together. And again, you're thinking, it's not going to work. There's no road to the moon, Stuart. You could not drive to the moon. That's impossible. And I say, okay, how about this? I've always wanted to take a a carnival cruise to the moon, and I can get on the boat. Maybe you can come with me. We can invite the whole church, and we can just go to the moon on this carnival cruise ship. And you're going to be like, Stuart, 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 listen to me. You cannot get to the moon those ways. There's only one way you can get to the moon, and that is through a craft that is designed to leave Earth's atmosphere. 
whether it's a rocket or a satellite, whatever you want to call it, it has to be something specifically designed for that purpose. You can't walk there, you can't drive there, and you can't get on a boat and float there. Would it be arrogant for you to tell me that? No, of course not. You would just be telling me the truth. It's not arrogant. If Jesus is indeed the only way to have a vital relationship with God the Father, then he is not being arrogant in telling us the truth. And you may disagree with Jesus, but he's not being arrogant if he's telling the truth. And if you're not sure if he's telling the truth, I would just ask you to investigate, to keep reading, to keep finding more out about Jesus because I believe, and most of the people in this room believe, that he is actually being helpful. He's being kind. He's being considerate. He's being loving by telling us that he is the only way to the Father. It would be cruel for Jesus not to tell us. So in order for us to have a vital relationship with God, we need Jesus. And that's because, as Jesus goes on to say in this passage, to know God truly, we must know Jesus. If you really want to know God truly, you must know Jesus. Again, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, just real quickly, some of you know that I did some graduate work at Duke University, Go Blue Devils, and when I was in, and one of the most interesting things that I saw, it's not the bastion of conservative theological scholarship there, okay, so you know that, probably, but one of the interesting things that I saw there was when I was sitting in one of the classes, and we were talking about this passage, and I was wondering what my fellow students were going to say about it, and there was this one Methodist student over here on the other side of the room who said, well, what I believe about this passage is that no one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying is you may be going to something, but you're not going to God the Father. You're not going to my Father. You may be going to something out there, but it's not the Father who created the entire universe. And I thought, that's pretty good. I can use that one day. And I just did. So thank you, random Methodist person. Um, but he goes on in verse 7, and he says, If you had known me, you would know my Father also. Now that sounds like a rebuke, but then he goes on to say, From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Think about how, how wonderful that news must be if they were really understanding. Wait, we have seen the Father? And they're probably going like, where is he? Where is he? And maybe that's why Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. He's like, is he behind you? Is he hiding out in that cave over there? What, where is he? And Jesus, and I know 
all kinds of ways that we can read this passage. We can read it with a harsh tone. We can read it with a soft tone. We can read it with all kinds of tones, and it changes the way we hear it. But I can't help but think that Jesus says it something along the lines of, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you get it? Now it's really about to go deep in here. Verse 9, he goes on to say, How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now we could spend a whole sermon just talking about those verses. So I'm going to be very brief here. If you'd like more information, I would love to have a conversation further about it. But the basic gist is that Jesus is saying he is the revelation of who God is. You want to know who God is? You have to know Jesus. He is the word of the Father made flesh so that we can see more clearly who God really is. He is the Son of God and he is the spitting image of his Father. He is God, who became like us in every way, except for sin, so that he could show us what God is really like. That's who Jesus is. And so it makes sense. If you want to know who God is, you have to know Jesus. Again, some of us may think, wait a second, Stuart, that just sounds so exclusive. It, it just sounds like you're saying that Unless you know Jesus, you don't know God. And that sounds so wrong. I mean, what about that, what about that parable? You know, you've heard the parable. The parable of the blind men and the elephant. You guys know this parable? Six blind men go and meet an elephant. And of course, they're blind, so they can't see the elephant. So they have to experience the elephant by feeling the elephant. And the first blind man puts out his hand, and he has the side of the elephant. And he says, oh, the elephant is like a wall. And another one grabs his trunk. And he says, oh, the elephant's like a snake. And another one puts his hand out and touches the tusk of the elephant. And he says, no, an elephant is like a spear. And then the, the fourth blind man, he puts his hand out and he touches the leg and he's feeling, he says, it feels like a tree trunk to me. And another blind man reaches out his hand and he touches the ear of the elephant and he says, it feels like a fan to me. And then the sixth man touches the tail of the elephant and he says, it feels like a rope to me. And, and the application of that parable is supposed to be, see, none of us really get the full glimpse of who God is. And because of that, we need to learn from one another. And all religions have truth in them. And we just need to learn from one another or else we're going to miss on who God really is. That's, you guys have heard this, right? I'm not the only one. Okay, all right. There are so many problems with that parable. But, but I only want to focus on one. Just one. And I think this is the most important one. What if the elephant could speak? What if the elephant could say, guys, 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 you're not getting it. No, 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 no. 
I'm not any of those things. I'm so much different than that. And here's what I'm like. I'm an animal, and I have a tusk, and I have a trunk, and I have big legs, and I'm a big animal, and I have a tail. And he just goes through and he says, here's how all the things that you're thinking about, they fit together in who I am. God can speak, and he does. And he has spoken his final word in Jesus. So if you really want to know who God is, you listen to his final word, Jesus. That's how we know who God is. We're not blind, groping around with no help. We are those whom the light of Christ has shown And God is saying, here's a spotlight to show you who I am. So if you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. And the religious leaders were the ones who got this wrong. Back in, uh, over in John 8, the religious leaders called the Pharisees. They said to Jesus, where is your father? Because he kept talking about his father. And Jesus answers, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. See, here's, that's the problem. If we really want to know the father, we have to know Jesus. If we're trying to start with some version of God, we're going to get it wrong because all of us want to make God in our image. You know, there's that saying, God made human beings in his image and we turned around and and we returned the favor. We try to make God in our own image. We try to pretend that we know enough about God to piece together in our own imagination what he's like. And God is going, no, 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 no. I'm not like that at all. I'm like this, Jesus. Look at Jesus if you want to know what I'm like. And that leads us to this last point, and this is probably the most important of all. All of these points are important, but this is the most important. If we're going to relate to God rightly, we can only do that through Jesus. We relate to God rightly only through Jesus. It's not just that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's not just that Jesus is the revelation of what the Father is like. It's also that we cannot connect with God unless we have Jesus. Now I know there's some of you, you're like, okay, I got that. I've known that all my life. Teach me something I don't know. Folks, We need to hear this over and over and over again because every one of us has a bent in our lives. And you know what that bent is? It's called sin. And that bent takes us away from who God really is. See, we tend to think of sin in such a one-dimensional way. We think of sin as it's stuff that I do that's wrong. Oh, you know, I murder someone, that's sin. I committed adultery, that's sin. I stole something, that's sin. I lied, that's sin. And if you say, but here, here's the problem. If you think of sin only in those terms, then as long as you're able to say, I haven't done any of those things, I'm good to go. I'm right with God. I haven't murdered anyone. 
I haven't committed adultery, I haven't stolen anything, and I haven't lied, at least recently. So I'm okay. Right? And that's what sin does. It tricks us into thinking we're better than what we really are. It tricks us into thinking we're more moral than what we really are. But when we see sin as what it really is, it's not just the outward actions, but it's the inclination of our heart. So it's going on on the inside. So that, yeah, I may not have murdered anybody, but there have been some times where I had some murderous thoughts. I may not have committed adultery, but there's some times where I've had some adulterous thoughts. I may not have stolen anything, but there sure is a lot of covetousness in my heart. I may not have lied recently, but there have been a whole lot of times where I have, in my heart, held back the truth and told something that is true, but it's not the whole truth. See, that's what sin is. Sin leads us away from a relationship with God. It causes us to curve in on ourselves and we no longer try to seek God as he is. We seek God as we want him to be. Do you hear what I'm saying? Instead of seeking God the way he is, we seek God the way we want him to be. And that's where we need a savior. Not just a savior who will save us from the penalty of our sins, but one who will save us from our sin. Someone who will not only take away, who will pardon and forgive sin, we need someone who will go inside our heart and change us from the inside out so that we no longer want to sin. We want God. We want to love Him with everything that we are. We want to know Him as He is. And that Savior is Jesus. As one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture says, Matthew 1, 21, it's when Jesus' birth is being predicted. And, and the angel says, you shall name Him Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord saves for he will save his people from their sins. Not just the penalty of their sins. Not even just the penalty and the power of sin. But Jesus is the one who ultimately, finally, will save us from the penalty of our sin, from the presence of our sin, from the power of our sin. He saves us from sin. And one day we will be free of it because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. Yeah, somebody ought to say amen to that. That's good news for all of us. So your action point is very, very clear today. <laughs> Go to Jesus. For some of you, you don't believe in Jesus. And, you know... I'm very thankful that you're here. But there is no other name under heaven that you can go to God and know God vitally. So if you really want to know God, 
I'm assuming you care something about God because you're here today. If you really want to know God, you got to start with Jesus. What does that look like? It, it looks like this. It looks like basically saying, I really want to know you, God, and I know the only way I can know you is through Jesus, and I know that I need my sins forgiven and cleansed, and I need transformation. Would you give me that, Jesus? That's the first start. Some of you, you do believe in Jesus, but you haven't felt a connection in a long time. I hear you. Don't try to do it by finding some secret way. Don't try to look for any other way to connect with God other than Jesus. If you don't feel connected with Jesus, if you don't feel connected with God, go to Jesus again and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to abide in me and I will abide in you. Show me what that looks like. Show me that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Show me everything that I need to know so I will connect with you truly. That's what I want. Some of you believe in Jesus and you've been connecting with him great. And you've been like, yeah, I'm on top of the world because I feel God in my presence. I mean, I just know he's there and I'm, I'm all in. There's going to come a time where that's not going to be there. Don't go away from Jesus. Don't think, I must be doing something right and all these other people are doing something wrong because they don't feel connected to God. I do, so I must be a good person. Ugh, that's what sin does. It makes us think so much highly of ourselves. No, keep going to Jesus. Jesus, I feel on top of the world. I'm close to you right now. But I know that that's only because of you, not because of me. Thank you for letting me experience your presence and, your con and this connection in a real vital way. Please continue that in my life. And... As we started this service, I just want to remind you of what we said at the very beginning, and let this be the final words that we hear today in this sermon. For we do, this is from Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We're all weak, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So let's recognize and relish a vital connection with God, established and enjoyed only in and through Jesus. And I'm going to pray that we'll be able to do that together. Lord Jesus, will you help us to recognize and to relish a relationship with God through you, we believe that that's the only way we can know the Father. The only way we can know you as the way, the truth, and the life is to come to you humbly, just as we are, recognizing we bring nothing to the table except for our sin, and you bring everything to the table for our salvation. And even as we come to this table today to celebrate this supper that you have given to us, cause us to connect vitally with you for your glory and for our good. Amen.